Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. Thanks so much to everyone who's tuned in online. However you're joining us today, we're just so glad that you're here. For those of you who are new, uh, we're right now as a church studying through the wonderful gospel of Matthew. Uh, we find ourselves this week in Matthew chapter 13, where we're in a mini-series on the subject of the parables of Jesus. And we've just been studying through them one at a time. Today, specifically, we're in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, where we see two different parables that make the same point. They are the parable of the treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great value. We begin today with the true story of a couple named John and Mary who bought a piece of property in Northern California in what's known as uh, gold territory, gold country. And it's so named because it's where the gold rush of 1849 took place. Well, unbeknownst to John and Mary, someone during the gold rush who apparently found and minted a bunch of their gold, they hid it all throughout the property in tin cans, and then they died without ever having told anyone where the treasure was, and so the treasure was lost for over 100 years. 100 years go by, John and Mary buy the property, one day they're out walking their dog, when one of them notices a little piece of tin, maybe glittering in the sun, and they investigate, and they begin digging around. And this, friends, is what they found. So naturally, they grabbed shovels, and they began digging in that area, and what they found was can after can after can after can of gold coins, 1,427 gold coins in total. The face value was 27,000 because the coins were only five, 10, and $20 coins. But friends, the actual value was $10 million. And this collection is the largest known discovery of buried gold coins that has ever been recovered in the history of the United States. I share this story today because found treasure is exactly what Jesus is going to talk to us about today in the two parables that we're studying from Matthew 13. As with other weeks in this mini-series on the subject of Jesus' parables, we will follow the same outline today. Number one, the stories. Number two, the symbols. Number three, the significance. And if you're taking notes today, we begin with the stories. Jesus shares the first of the two stories. A parable is just a story. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus shares the first of the two stories in verse 44, where he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, whom he's teaching privately, He's saying, I want to teach you an important lesson about the kingdom of heaven, and I'm going to teach you the important uh, lesson using the illustration of treasure buried in a field. Now, this was a story, this was an example from everyday life that every first century uh, person living in Palestine could readily relate to because in first century Palestine, you didn't keep your money in the bank, you buried your treasure in your field. You buried it somewhere on your land. 
In Jesus' day, banks existed, but they were few and far between, so they weren't easy to access, uh, and banks weren't federally insured uh, like our banks are today, so people certainly weren't encouraged to put their treasures in a bank. And so most people simply hid their money in the ground at a designated place on their property. And sometimes those treasures were lost for various reasons. So, you know, Palestine, an area that's prone to war more than any other uh, place on earth uh, during the first century, uh, you can imagine a war taking place. You can imagine an invading army coming in and you might be killed or you might have to flee your property never to return. And if you never told anyone, you know, where that was, uh, where your treasure was buried, um, that would be lost. In 722 BC, this is actually exactly what happened to the Israelites living uh, in the north part of Israel when the Assyrians came and uh, deported them away to captivity. Uh, The Jewish people were not like, oh, hey, thanks for, you know, killing my spouse and some of my kids and, you know, taking us away from our home. Hey, let me just go dig up the treasure in my backyard and give that to you as our way to say thank you. No, they didn't do that. They hid their treasure. And then they went away to Assyria and many of them never returned. And so treasure was lost and probably still is lost all over Israel. Likewise, uh, an Israelite might travel on business and die while abroad without ever having told anyone where their treasure was buried. And so their treasure would be lost too. In such instances, new owners would eventually take possession of the unoccupied land, having no clue that a priceless treasure was buried on their very own property. Kind of makes you want to go home today after church and dig up your backyard, doesn't it? (laughs) So that's the first thing you need to know to understand the first of the two stories. You need to know that people buried their treasure in their backyard. Now, here's the second thing you need to know. In Jesus' day, roads were not as ubiquitous as they are today. So when people had to travel, most did so on hardened paths between farm fields. And this was not frowned upon. Landowners didn't say, hey, get off my property, like we might today if we saw someone walking on our land. Um, When they saw someone traveling through their field, that was just normal. That was just something that everybody did. And now that you know those two things, that people buried their treasure in their backyard... And that in Jesus' day, people would walk through their neighbor's property and that that was normal. Uh, Now I can describe to you the kind of situation that Jesus is referring to here in the first of the two stories. So we'll have a little fun sharing with you the kind of story Jesus is talking about. So here it is. A man named Andrew (laughs) owns a field and unbeknownst to him, his field contains buried treasure, millions and millions of dollars worth. Well, one day, another man named Jack is traveling through Andrew's field when he notices something glimmering in the sun and he investigates and he finds that it's buried treasure. So Jack covers it back up, carefully marks the spot and skips all the way home where he gets straight to the work of liquidating assets, okay? He sells his car, he sells his home, he sells his Xbox, he sells his bass guitar, he sells his wedding ring, he pawns off his furniture, uh, you know, to the pawn shop and, and he cashes out on all of his retirement. And as he does this, he does not do so begrudgingly. He is not a sad man. He is a happy man. He is not focused on everything he's giving up. He's focused in on everything he's about to gain. So the next morning, he shows up at Andrew's door, makes a generous offer, which Andrew readily accepts. And as a result, Jack becomes the owner of the field. And consequently, he becomes the owner of the great 
priceless treasure within that field and how great was his joy in obtaining that treasure. That's story number one. As we move on to verses 45 to 46, we see the second of the two stories. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, Jesus says, I want to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. And this time to teach you about the kingdom of heaven, I'm not going to use the illustration of a treasure buried in a field. This time I'm going to use the illustration of a merchant who's in search of a pearl of great value. So friends, what we're dealing with here is a wholesale dealer. The Greek word merchant gives this idea of a wholesale dealer. So what we have in our text is a person whose business it was to find pearls, haggle on the price in order to get the best discounted price possible, who would then go resell those pearls for a profit for himself. We'll call the merchant Peter. <laughs> now Peter has a very wealthy buyer named John, who's our creative arts pastor. And John has told Peter, Pete, I need a very large pearl. I need a one in a million sized pearl because my 25th wedding anniversary is right around the corner and I want to blow my wife's socks off. Pete, if you can deliver on this pearl, let me tell you, I will make it more than worth your while. Pete is motivated at the thought of having retire early kind of money, at the thought of having drive a Lamborghini or a Ferrari kind of money, uh, at, at the thought of having the kind of money where he sits on a beach, uh, you know, for the rest of his life, and that's all he has to concern himself with, okay? Pete's got, you know, grandeur in his mind of homes in New York and L.A. and in Paris, and, and with that in his mind, he goes in search of this one in a million pearl. He travels across the country looking for it. He even, uh, not finding it in his own country, travels to distant lands to try to find the pearl he is looking for. And when he finally does find that pearl one day, just like Jack did, Pete liquidates all of his assets, everything he owns, he gladly sells in order to come in possession of the pearl. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He happily gives up everything in order to obtain the pearl. He finds John. He says, I found what you're looking for. He sells the pearl to John. And how great was his joy when John paid him for the pearl. So friends, those are the kinds of stories Jesus is talking about. These are the kinds of situations Jesus is referring to. In the first story, there's a man who accidentally stumbles upon a treasure. And in the second story, there's a man who is in search of a treasure. But in both stories, each man, each man gladly sacrificed everything and anything that was needed in order to obtain the respective treasure. So friends, those are the stories, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. Are you with me? Okay, that's the stories. And now that you've seen the stories, number two, now let's look at the symbols. 
because the stories make no sense unless you interpret the symbols in the story. So let's do that next. Again, the two parables, they make the same singular point. And so we're not going to cover the three symbols of uh, the first story and then the three symbols of the second story. The two stories make one and the same point. So we will just cover the symbolism together. So here we go. Number one, if you're still taking notes, the treasure in the field, as well as the pearl of great value, the treasure and the pearl, they symbolize the salvation that gains us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So the treasure and the pearl symbolize salvation, which of course is a priceless treasure. Friends, our sin deserves death. Apart from Christ, we die physically and one day we'll suffer eternally. But Jesus came to earth and in a demonstration of his great love for us, climbed up on that cross willingly. No one took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. And when he was on that cross with his arms stretched out, he was saying, this is how much I love you. And Jesus on the cross was taking upon himself the punishment for sin that you and I deserved. And he took God's penalty for sin, which is death, so that you and I wouldn't have to. So friends, there's two sides of the salvation coin. The one side is we are saved from personally experiencing the penalty for sin. But then the other side of the coin is not only are we saved from hell, we are saved for the purpose of being granted citizenship in the eternal kingdom of heaven. So do you see the pearl of great value, the treasure, the priceless treasure in the field? They symbolize the priceless treasure of salvation, which is granted to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. Number two. The men gladly selling all of their possessions symbolizes a person gladly giving up anything and everything to follow Jesus in discipleship. In each story, each man willingly, gladly sold everything he had to raise the capital needed to purchase the respective treasure. And that symbolizes a person who gladly and willingly, happily gives up anything and everything needed in order to follow Jesus in discipleship. Now, as we read our Bibles, we see that some people were willing to sacrifice all to follow Jesus, and we see that other people were not. Concerning those who were not, uh, I would remind you of Matthew chapter 8, something we covered uh, some months ago. In Matthew chapter 8, I did a sermon entitled, The High Cost of Discipleship, because in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus encounters three different men who all appear at first glance to be willing to follow Jesus and pay any price in order to do so, but in the end, could not and would not. The first man Jesus encountered in Matthew 8 was a scribe who said to Jesus, oh, teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. But Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus was saying to a scribe who is used to a pretty cushy life, materially speaking, he was saying, do you know that when we go from town to town, sometimes our message won't be received. Sometimes the people won't welcome us with open arms and put us up in a home and give us uh, food <laughs> while we're in town. 
And when that happens, we're going to be sleeping under the stars. And we don't know what, kind, what the weather might be like. Are you ready to do that? We might go without food as we travel around. If the people don't receive us, we'll have to wait to be fed till we get to the next town. So are you willing to give up your personal comfort in order to follow me? And at this point, we hear not another word ever from the scribe. And it's implied in the text that he prioritized his own personal comfort over and above following Jesus in discipleship. Right after this encounter with the scribe, Jesus has an encounter with a second man. And Jesus extends this invitation to the second man. Jesus says, follow me. But immediately the second man begins making excuses. He says in Matthew chapter 8, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now understand it's not that this man's father had just died. What the man was asking is this, Jesus, can I delay following you until my father dies? Because the man didn't want to miss out on receiving his inheritance, which he likely would have missed out on had he not been there when his dad died. So whereas the scribe valued personal comfort over and above following Jesus in discipleship, this second man valued riches over and above following Jesus in discipleship. And so he too, like the scribe, walked away. And that leads us to the third man that Jesus had an encounter with. Jesus has had a long day. He's just trying to get on the boat to go get some R&R with his disciples. And just one person after another keeps coming up. But here's the story of the third man. The third man says, Lord, I will follow you. So he's like the scribe, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever it takes. But then he qualifies his offer. He says, oh, oh Jesus, but first let me just say farewell to those who, who are at, at, at home. So whereas the first man valued comfort over Jesus, and whereas the second man valued riches over Jesus, this third man valued family over Jesus. But to anyone who would prioritize allegiance to family over allegiance to Jesus, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Since this man didn't love Jesus above anyone else, including his own family, Jesus said this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now that saying might not make a whole lot of sense to you and I, but this was a cultural expression of Jesus's day. And what it meant is you cannot have divided interests and divided loyalties. And Jesus applied that cultural expression to this man following him. You cannot follow me, Jesus was saying, uh, with divided interests, with divided loyalties. I require 100%. Unlike these three men from Matthew 8 who weren't willing to pay any price to obtain the great treasure of salvation, the men in Jesus' two parables that we're studying today were. The two men in the parables that we're studying today, they were more than willing to give up anything, to forsake anything needed in order to obtain the great treasure. So again, all this to say, their willingness to give up anything and everything in order to obtain the treasure symbolizes a person being willing to give up anything and everything in order to follow Jesus in discipleship, which is the only way a person is going to gain the treasure of salvation. So that's number two. Now, number three. The men's joy in obtaining their treasures, the men's joy in obtaining their treasures 
symbolizes the joy a person has in obtaining salvation. The text says of the man who found the treasure in the field, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. So friends, here's the man. He hasn't even obtained the treasure yet. It's just the thought of obtaining the treasure that fills him with overflowing joy. How many of you know the next day when he actually got the treasure, his joy, his joy was doubled, it was tripled, it was quadrupled. And friends, it was the same with the merchant when he finally obtained the treasure that he had been searched for for so many years. And their joy represents the same joy a person has once he knows he is right with God and has been granted citizenship in the eternal kingdom of heaven. Jesus once told his disciples this in John chapter 15. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And friends, that's precisely what happens when we come to trust Jesus to forgive us of our sins. This is precisely what happens when we realize that because of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, we do not have to personally pay the penalty for sin. Friends, the overflowing joy, this is what comes to us when we realize not only were we spared from hell, but we have been granted citizenship in heaven. It just results in joy. It just does. Amen. Knowing that you're right with God. So friends, these are the symbols. We've covered the stories. We've covered the symbols. Now thirdly and finally, let's cover the significance. And to understand the significance of the two parables that Jesus is teaching us today, uh, I need to remind us briefly of the purpose of parables. I did an entire lesson on this, uh, on the onset of this mini-series on parables. Uh, but for those of you who don't memorize all my sermons, um, I'm going to go ahead and do a quick review. Jesus had a very specific purpose for parables. Jesus would use parables as teaching tools for his disciples. And they would serve to help him teach important truths to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus employed the parable of the treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great value for the purpose of teaching his disciples important truths about the kingdom of heaven. And so, that being the case, the question begs today, what specific things did Jesus want to teach us about the kingdom of heaven from these two parables? And friends, it's very straightforward. So we're going to go through three things that Jesus wants to teach us about the kingdom of heaven as the last part of the sermon. So here's the first thing Jesus wants us to know and understand about the kingdom of heaven from these parables. Number one, he wants us to know the kingdom of heaven, it's a priceless treasure. It's not just a treasure. No, it's a priceless treasure. Now, now when I think of like, oh, a grand treasure, a priceless treasure, I can't help but think of uh, Edwin Castro, who last November bought a $2 Powerball ticket and ended up winning 2.04 billion dollars 2.04 billion dollars biggest winnings in all of the lottery history 2.04 billion dollars now if you're not great at math like me you know what the point zero 
Holden, you already know this, okay? You're a math guy. But the 0.04, you know what that represents? Another 40 billion on top of the 2 billion. Talk about, wow, priceless treasure. Priceless treasure. Now, he chose the lump sum versus spreading it out over 30 years, and that came out to 997 million. And everyone always wants to know, what about taxes? Well, here's the deal. After taxes, he still walked away with a windfall of $628 million free and clear. Not too shabby for someone who's reported to be in their 30s. Now, when we hear a story like that, we we think, man, what's wrong with my luck, you know? God, why couldn't it have happened to me? And you know what God's response to each and every one of us is? Something infinitely more valuable has happened to you. Because through faith in Jesus, you have come to obtain the priceless treasure of salvation. We think, oh, if I can only be so lucky as Mary and John up there in Northern California. Jesus says, you're luckier than that. Oh, if I could only be like Edwin Castro. Oh, man, wouldn't that be great? Jesus said, oh, you're luckier than him. Oh, all they got was a paltry 10 million over here and a paltry 628 million over here. Jesus says, you know what you got? You got the priceless treasure of salvation, which is of far greater value. You say, Mike, I don't know about this. I don't know. I don't know if I believe you. Far greater value. What are you talking about? Well, let me just compare the treasures of earth with the treasures of heaven just for a moment so you can see it for yourself. Friends, the treasures on earth, they wear out, rust out, go out of style. They can be destroyed. They can be stolen. And even when they're not, we depart with them at death. Citizenship in the eternal kingdom of Christ, that's not the case can't be stolen, doesn't wear out, doesn't go out of style. And far from departing with it at death, it's death that ushers us into the kingdom. So friends, truly, we have to adopt the mindset. As a child of God, I'm luckier than anyone with any amount of earthly treasure. Because through faith in Christ, I've been saved from my sins. I've been granted citizenship in Jesus' eternal kingdom. And this truly is a priceless, priceless treasure. So that's the first thing Jesus wants us to know. The kingdom of heaven that he's teaching about through these parables. First thing he wants us to know, the kingdom of heaven. Having access to it. Being a citizen citizen in it. It's a priceless treasure. All right, number two. The second thing Jesus wants us to know about the kingdom of heaven through these parables is this. Not only is the kingdom a priceless treasure, number two, the kingdom, it's worth sacrificing everything for. Remember earlier I told you the story of Jack finding a treasure in Andrew's field? Well, real quick, why was he so eager and willing to give up everything in order to purchase the field? And friends, the answer is simple. It's because he knew that no matter what I give up, I'm going to get so much more in return. So the bottom line is this. It's more than worth it. Imagine Jack had said, oh, I don't know. I mean, I know the treasure in the field is great. And I know I have the opportunity to buy the field if I liquidate all my assets. But, you know, I've really grown to enjoy playing on my Xbox. 
I don't know if I want to give it up. If you had a friend who had kind of come to that place, you would slap them. <laughs> and you'd say, hey, come to your senses. Don't be a fool. You should give up everything. You can buy 10 million Xboxes and 10 million of anything else that you could ever want. Sell, sell, sell. Do whatever it takes. Because it's going to be more than worth it. And friends, when it comes to material things, we like, we get it really good. But here's the deal. Many, many people, when it comes to the salvation of their souls, they refuse to give up the Xbox. And in so doing, they forfeit the treasure in the field. Friends, don't let that be you. Jesus today is telling us about the kingdom, that it's worth sacrificing anything and everything for This reminds me of a book I recently read. Someone in the church had recommended it to my wife. She read it and she said, Mike, you need to read this. It's it's an excellent book. So I said, okay, on your recommendation, I'll get it and, and I'll read it. The book is called A Change of Affection. And the subtitle is this, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. And it's written by, uh, Beckett Cook, who tells his own story, uh, in the book. Beckett was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. But after college, he moved to Los Angeles to pursue his dream of writing and acting, and he found great success in both. He eventually went on to become a production designer, working with the top photographers and directors in the world on fashion shoots for magazines such as Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, and for ad campaigns such as Gap and L'Oreal Paris and Nike. While in Los Angeles, he came out as a gay man and he began living the homosexual lifestyle, having a series of many relationships with different men uh, over the next 15 years of his life. But in September of 2009, while at a coffee shop with a friend, he saw a group of men having a Bible study. And he was incredulous because the one guy walked across the coffee shop in L.A., with a Bible in his hand. And he he couldn't even believe it, the temerity of of this person to do this. So he was blown away even more when he saw the group of men reverently bow their heads and close their eyes and begin praying at their table. Curiosity got the better of him, and he inserted himself into the conversation with one of the men who happened to be the pastor of a nearby church in Hollywood called Reality L.A. Now, if you want the details of his testimony, I'd encourage you to read the book for yourself. It will greatly encourage you. But long story short, Beckett accepted the invitation to this pastor's church. He surrendered his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And though he still has, had and has same-sex attraction, he has stopped living the homosexual lifestyle. He gave it up, and by his own testimony, he was happy to do so because he felt it was worth it to give up anything that would prevent him from following Jesus in discipleship. He said that when he had made this decision, his friends kept talking to him about all he was losing, and he literally just couldn't even comprehend what they were saying. He, what, are you, what are you talking about, he would say. All I'm losing, and he said, all I could think about was everything I was gaining. 
If you read his bio on his website, beckettcook.com, it says, and I quote, that he was more than happy to count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And friends, that is just so beautiful to me. Someone saying, I want to follow Jesus in discipleship. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I do it happily. I'm not sad about it because I'm not thinking about all I'm losing. I'm happy about it because I'm thinking of everything. I will gain the priceless treasure, which is entrance into the kingdom through faith in God's one and only son, Jesus the Christ. Friends, there are many who like the three men Jesus encountered in Matthew 8 who will prioritize comfort and riches and relationships and sin and career and many other things over and above Jesus. But that does not negate the reality that also in every generation, there are those who say, Jesus, I am gladly willing to forsake all to follow you in discipleship. And if you haven't already, I hope that that will be you today. Be the one who gladly gives up the Xbox in order to possess the priceless treasure in the field. So number one, Jesus says of the kingdom, it's a priceless treasure. Number two, Jesus says of the kingdom, it's absolutely worth sacrificing anything and everything for. And now number three, Jesus says of the kingdom, It's the only true and lasting source of joy. And every believer in the house said, amen. Amen. We're all looking for joy, right? We look for joy in entertainment, but no amount of binging our favorite show brings us the satisfaction we're looking for. We look for joy in our career, but no matter how high we climb the corporate ladder, joy that's lasting always seems to be one or two more rungs higher. We look for lasting joy in relationships, but then people disappoint us and let us down. We look for lasting joy in our hobbies, but in the end we find them wholly unsatisfying. It's so funny. I remember I I got sick of couple months ago. And I was actually like, praise the Lord. My life is filled with responsibilities. I'm so glad to be sick. I can watch TV all day. This is great. (laughs) So I watched TV the whole day. I thought, oh, this is amazing. I love this. And I expected it to be the same the next day. I turned on the show. I watched for one hour and I said, well, this is unfulfilling. God, I'm ready to be well again. I got to get back to work. This does not satisfy. It was great for a day, but this does not satisfy. There's no lasting joy in that. Friends, you want lasting joy? You know where that comes from? Knowing you're right with God. Because then no matter what kind of day you're having, you're sick, you know, the relationship doesn't work out, the stocks tank, you know, uh, what's the Bitcoin doesn't work out the way you thought it might. No, No matter what happens, you go, I have been saved from the penalty for sin. I have been granted through faith in Christ citizenship in his eternal kingdom. And that is a joy that stays with you despite the ups and downs that life throws at us in a sin-cursed world on this side of eternity. Lasting joy. Jesus wants to know the kingdom. It's the only true source of lasting joy. Now, if you're already a disciple of Jesus, here's the application for you today. 
And for me, I'm a disciple of Jesus. So here's the application for us today. If we are disciples of Jesus, we have already obtained the treasure in the field. And the application is this, hold tightly to that treasure. Do not be willing to let go of it for anything. We all understand and agree that it'd be foolish for someone to not be willing to sell their Xbox in order to obtain the treasure in the field. We all agree, oh yeah, that would be foolish. Well, let me tell you what's equally foolish. Letting go of the treasure in the field in order to obtain an Xbox. Imagine if Edwin Castro said, you know, I really want that piece of licorice that seems delicious to me. Here's $628 million. Imagine if John and Mary in Northern California said, oh, that new toaster there in the store is beautiful. Here, you know, I, I, let me give my $10 million treasure in order to get the toaster. When it comes to things like that, material, we all go, oh, yeah, yeah, I would never do that. Well, let me ask you this. Are you doing that, though, with salvation? Have you turned your back on Jesus? Have you walked away from Jesus and, and walked away from following him in discipleship, where he is not just your Savior, but he is your Lord calling the shots in your life for some sinful indulgence, for that sinful relationship, for that affair, for, for, for pornography, for you, you fill in the blank. But are you turning your back on Jesus, your Lord and your Savior, doing your own thing, walking away from him? for some sinful pleasure? If so, that's trading the $10 million of gold coins to get a toaster. Friends, don't let that be you. Hold tight to the treasure. Now, if you're not currently a disciple of Jesus, the application for you is different. If you're not a follower of Jesus currently, if you're not a disciple of Jesus currently, then the application for you is this. It's to realize that a priceless treasure has been made available to you through faith. But friends, it is not automatic. You have to, by faith, trust Jesus to pardon you from the penalty for sin. And, and by faith, you have to trust Jesus to grant you citizenship in his eternal kingdom. And when you believe by faith that Jesus will do that for you, it's exactly what he does. And what happens is Jesus goes and has a conversation with God the Father. And he says to God the Father, he says, why don't you let the punishment that I endured on the cross count as this person's punishment for sin? And God the Father says, I agree. And you get to go free. I got to go free because of faith in Jesus. So friends, there is a treasure being offered to you, but it is not automatic. You have to accept that treasure. And I hope that you'll be willing to do whatever it takes to receive that treasure and follow Jesus in discipleship. I close with this. When Robert Herbert Thompson, who owned 180 newspapers, controlled 290 other companies, and was personally worth more than $300 million, was asked how much he would give to buy the New York Times newspaper, he is said to have replied, I'd mortgage my very soul. In other words, I'd do whatever it took. I'd pay whatever the price. And this is what most people are willing to do when it comes to achieving possessions, fame, or the power that they lust for. But then when it comes to their soul, they're willing to sacrifice so little, maybe even nothing at all. Friend, don't let that be you. Gladly give up anything and everything in order to follow Jesus. And do it gladly and willingly, knowing 
that whatever you give up, you're going to get so much more in return. If you see today in your heart that it's worth it and you're ready to receive Jesus, it'd be my honor and privilege to lead you in a prayer. Would you pray with me? Church, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Those of you online, everyone out in the foyer, everyone here in the auditorium, let's go to God in prayer. And maybe just in your heart, you'd say a prayer, uh, something like this to God. Say, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that a priceless treasure has been made available to me, compliments of Jesus. God, help me to have clarity of mind today to see that whatever I'm holding on to, it's a toaster, it's an Xbox, it's a piece of licorice. God, help me not to desire to hang on to these things in a way that forfeits the priceless treasure of salvation. So God, give me clarity of mind today. Help me to see clearly. Remove the scales that Satan has over my eyes blinding me from the glorious truth of the gospel. God, I thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. I thank you that he endured the penalty for sin for me so that I could go free and instead become a citizen in your eternal kingdom. God, I'm so grateful. I recognize this salvation that was purchased at such a high cost truly, indeed, is a treasure of greater value than what John and Mary had. It's a treasure of greater value than what Edwin Castro has. And God, I'm thankful for that treasure. I'm thankful for the treasure of all treasures that is mine through faith in Jesus. But God, today I understand that Jesus calls us for an all-out, sold-out form of discipleship. God, I don't know if you'll ever ask me to give up personal comfort in order to follow Jesus, but I want you to know today that if you do, my answer is yes. God, I don't know if you'll ask me one day to uh, give up uh, riches in order to follow Jesus, but God, should it ever come to that, I want you to know my answer is yes. And God, I don't know if one day you'll ask me to forfeit some important relationship to me. God, I don't know one day if you'll ask me to uh, prioritize Jesus over and above my family, but God, I want you to know that should you call for that sacrifice, I want you to know my answer is yes. Whatever it takes, I'll give up anything and everything, and I won't do it begrudgingly, I'll do it gladly, knowing that whatever I give up, I'll receive infinite times more in return. God, I thank you for this priceless treasure that's mine. I thank you for the treasure in the field. I thank you for the pearl of great value. And God, I thank you for making it possible through Jesus. It's in his name that I pray this prayer. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.